Greetings, church. It's certainly a great time when we worship the Lord. As we worship the Lord, the Lord prepares our heart to receive the word. I can understand the time through which the Lord is taking us today. The COVID-19 not just creating a havoc in our country, India, but having it footprints in many countries of the world. Many countries and governments are getting into the lockdown situations. Now, we have two options when we get into a lockdown situation. Option one is that we complain, we murmur, Lord, we are missing on so many things. Lord, this was planned and that was planned. Well, there are certain things which are beyond our influence. And the second option we have is we just say, Lord, thank you. We trust our leaders who are over us. Lord, we praise you even in times like this because we know that you are in control. And Lord, use this time to prepare us, to strengthen our spirits. Yes, Lord, maximize the benefits which we can draw while we remain in the state of being locked out. That's the second option. Before we get into the message today, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we just want to thank you and praise you. Lord, you prepare us in times of worship. I do not know, Lord, with what needs People are listening to this message. Lord, I believe that your Holy Spirit will minister to us. Lord, I pray that it's not human wisdom or gifts which get predominant in this message, Lord, but let it be your voice, Master. Let it be your voice reaching out to people who are online trying to get the spiritual food to strengthen their spirits, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, for we have the technology through which your word can still reach out. Once again, affirming to us that we may be in lockdown situation, but not your word, God. We want to give you the glory, Master, and lift your name high and exalt you. Thank you. You increase and we decrease. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My today's message is primarily trying to do a bit of meditation and exposition on Luke chapter 15. Now, Luke chapter 15 is a very familiar passage. Generally, when you speak to a Christian and tell him about Luke 15, the thing which just immediately blows up in the mind is, oh, it's about the prodigal son. Well, we will not go to the story of the prodigal son, but we'll see the two parables which are before the parable of the prodigal son, which Christ speaks. We will get across to some of the passages in the Old Testament, but primarily will stick to the New Testament, that is Luke chapter 15. Now, when we start reading Luke chapter 15, it speaks about three distinct people who come to listen to Christ. The first one are the Pharisees. Actually, Pharisees don't come to listen to Christ. They come to find mistakes in what Christ is speaking. The second are the tax collector and the sinners. Oh, they just love when they listen to Christ. You know, Christ becomes good friend of theirs because Christ judges them, but with love, he accepts them the way they are and speaks to them the way of salvation and the way through which 
they can get into reconciliation with God. So they love Christ and they just gather in crowds to listen to him. And the third are disciples who are actually trying to receive from Christ the teaching so that later on they can partake or give those teachings across to others. So three distinct groups get together to listen to Christ. And Jesus speaks the first parable and he says, 100 sheep are going with the shepherd and one sheep decides to go on a different route. And then he says, the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep, goes after one sheep, picks up that one sheep, gets back. And while he's carrying that one sheep, he is rejoicing. He calls everyone and he says, guys, I lost one sheep, but I have found that one sheep and I'm back now. Let's celebrate. And then he ends that parable with the verse which says that when one sinner repents in heaven, there is celebration than over several righteous people who think they don't need any repentance. Jesus gets on to the second parable, and this is a parable of a lady handling silver coins. Well, they are not copper coins or just any coins, but they are silver coins. And one of the coins fall down. And when the coin falls down, generally it finds its way. It gets under the sofa, under the bed, under some place where you have to really bend down and look for that coin. And that lady sets aside every work of her and gets into hunting that coin. And when she finds that coin, she is so happy. And Jesus ends that parable again by saying, well, when one sinner repents, there is rejoicing in heaven. Now, when I read through these two parables, the question which came to my mind was, Lord, in the case of the sheep and in the case of the coin, where is the repentance taking place? Who is repenting? It is not clear to me. Is the coin repenting? Is that sheep repenting? It's really not clear to me, Lord. You need to tell me, why are you ending these parables by making that statement that when one sinner repents, there is rejoicing in heaven. And as I meditated on these two parables and sought the Lord, there were certain revelations which the Lord gave across to me. And based on those revelations, I have titled my message as Hidden Repentance, Your Choices, and Christ's response. I'll spell it out again. This hidden repentance, your and my choices, and Christ's response. Let's get to the first parable of the sheep. Now, if you see and imagine that 100 sheep are going across onto a track, and I want you to pictureize them. Now, one of that sheep amongst the 100, well, don't call it as a black sheep. He looks at another track which is going on in a different direction. And he's thinking to himself, let me go and see what's on that track. I have no intention of getting lost. I'm still part of this hundred, but I'm little inquisitive. I need to go and explore what is on that route. So I will take 10 steps, go and see. I'll keep an eye on these 99 which are here, and then I'm going to come back and join them. And he quietly leaves the crowd and moves on to a path by himself. Now, when he goes there, he finds another bifurcation ahead, and he speaks to himself, well, I think I can make, up, make, it, make it back to my herd. Let me take another turn and get to see what's there. I want to explore new things. I want to see new things. And he keeps taking turns after turns, and then reaches a point when he looks back, 
His eyes do not see the balance 99 and he finds himself in a place where he realizes that he is lost. He wants to get back to 99, but he does not know how to get back to 99. In his heart, he starts crying as to why he left those 100, a pack of 100 and why did he step outside the alignment of their steps? But he does not find an answer to that. And the Bible says that Christ comes back or the shepherd comes back and finds him and takes him back. Sometimes in our lives as Christians, we leave the will of God. We leave the path on which God wants us to move, trying to explore something new, trying to find something new. And our intent is not to get lost. Our intent is, Lord, we don't want to fall into sin, but I just want to see what's there. I just want to try out what is there. And that trial takes me to different roads and different paths and brings me to a place where I find myself lost. Well, let me try and bring out some real situations as to in what areas can we get lost. Sometimes when a teenager or maybe a person in adolescent takes the first cigarette in his hands, he says, well, I don't want to become a smoke addict or, you know, cigarette addict. I am just trying to see how it tastes. You know, when I see it on the screen, when I see people on the road and they enjoy it, I just want to see it once as to what happens when I take the puff in. His intent is not to become a smoke addict, but he just wants to explore it. And it begins with one cigarette, turns out to one packet. And maybe after years, it becomes a habit of being a changed smoker. Now the desire is there, Lord, I want to leave it, but I can't leave it. The flesh gets too strong. The spirit still desires to get out of that clutch, but unable to. And that's a state of being lost. Your intention was not to get lost. But your decisions brought you to a point where you got lost. And you are repenting. But that repentance is a hidden repentance. You are being seen victorious from outside. But deep inside you, you are a defeated person. Let's look at another example. You hold the first glass of beer in your hand. Ah, everyone takes it. You get across to Europe. It's difficult to find water there, but easy to find wine there. So what's wrong if I take this one glass of beer? I'm just trying to taste it and see how it is. Why do people take it? All right, it begins with one glass and it goes across from beer to certain other hard drinks. The journey is not with an intent that you have to become an alcohol addict, but sometimes it turns out to be like that, where every evening when you sit at the table, you need to have a glass of some alcoholic drink before you have your dinner. Now you feel miserable inside you and you look back at those days when you took that first glass in your hand and you say, well, I want to step out of it, but you can't. You get into a state of being lost. Your intent was not to get lost, but your first step and your choices made you reach that stage. Let's get to the first time a teenager or maybe anyone's open a site in which you see porno and those sites are available at the click or as a touch of your phone. 
First time when you are watching those, you say, well, ah, actually, you know, I'm not supposed to, but you know, as my friend has sent me a link, so let me try and see what that link shows to me. You try to allow your eyes to see certain things, your flesh getting used to certain things. Your intent was not to become porno addict or a sex addict, but you land yourself up into that situation. The first step of stepping outside God's will was not with an intent of getting lost, but you find yourself in a state of being lost. You can, don't have the strength to break those addictions and come back into the folds of Christ. Let's look at the fourth example. You start talking to a girl or a lady who is a non-believer and you say to yourself, what's wrong to chat? There is nothing wrong to chat. The world is on social media. I'm strong emotionally. You know, as long as I hold strong to my emotions, I don't think there is anything wrong in chat. But then as you begin chatting, after a week, after 10 days, the so-called so foundations of your emotions starts giving away and you get on a roller coaster ride. When you chatted the first time, your intent was not to go beyond a particular step, but you land yourself into marshy areas. You want to come out of that, but you are unable to. You are lost in that area. I want to tell you, church, these four examples which I gave to you are the areas where people take the first step, make the choice, not with an intent of becoming a smoke addict, a drug addict, an alcoholic addict, or a sex addict, or get into a relationship with a non-believer person, but they land themselves up in that area. There is a repentance in their heart. Their flesh becomes strong. And within their spiritual life, they are unable to break away from that and find their way back into the folds of normal Christian circles. The Bible says, the shepherd will come back and pick you up. The Bible says that Christ will get back and find you. That's why there is rejoicing. That's the reason why shepherd is rejoicing because he sees through the repentance which is happening in the heart of the sheep because he sees through the, through the penalizing what we do in our quiet times when we cry and say, Lord, who will save a wretched man like me? Who will take me out from the situation in which I've landed myself in today, Lord? And you find the shepherd coming there and taking you out. And in order to further consolidate what I'm sharing with you from the first parable of Christ, I'll take you to the Old Testament and we will do a character study of one man. And when you see, I'm going to take you to the book of Genesis, when generally Christians look at the book of Genesis and they think, ah, that one man might be Abraham, might be Isaac, might be Joseph. Well, they are none of these. I'm going to speak to you about a man called Lot. Lot took four decisions in his life. And those decisions actually took him into a state of a catch-22 situation. Where there was a repentance in his heart, but his end was not a good ending. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham is called by the Lord and God's Lord tells Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave everything and move to a place where I want you to go. Abraham starts moving and Lot starts moving with him. Get across to Genesis chapter 13. And here you find, you know, both Abraham and Lot are wealthy. 
and the herdsmen are fighting with one another. And Abraham says, all right, let's have a meeting with Lord. And he calls Lord and he says, Lord, this land won't suffice for both of us. It's time for us to part. And he says, you pick up first and I'll go in the other direction. The Bible speaks in Genesis chapter 13 that Lord looked towards the Jordan Valley. And he saw the greenery there. And the Bible says he thought it has to be the garden of the Lord. And when you meditate on this single verse that he thought to himself that that place is garden of the Lord, which is an equivalent to Eden, it implied that Lot in his young days had heard the stories of how the world came in existence. Lot was being taught that there was a garden of Eden which God had made. And that garden of Eden was made for Adam and Eve. And it is their disobedience which actually led the world where it was at that time. So Lot had that belief in him. Lot had heard the gospel in whatever state that gospel was during that time. Because the Bible says that when Lot looked at the Jordan Valley, he assumed and thought to himself that the greenery there and the way it is plush is something similar to the garden of the Lord. Now at that time, he did not realize that the people staying there are wicked. People would have come and given feedback to Lord. Lord, there are people who stay there are sinners. And Lord would have thought to himself, how does it matter to me if the across the road I have a casino? How does it matter to me if on the left side of my house I have a wine shop? How does it matter to me if on the right side of my house is a pub? It doesn't matter to me because I am a Christian. I will shine like a light in that place. And I will be the lampstand. I will be the salt in that place. And that's what Lot would have thought to himself. And took a plunge to get to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and decided to settle there. I want to tell you, church, that the first decision which was taken by Lot, we cannot categorize it as a wrong decision or a right decision. It was an innocent step because he saw the greenery and he perceived that greenery to be equivalent to the Garden of Eden. It was a step which he had taken just seeing what his eyes showed him. It was a step which was not taken that he's going to get lost in that area. It was exactly like the step when the sheep takes the step getting out of the folds of the balance hundred who are walking in one direction. Now we get across to Genesis chapter 19. That's when God is pretty angry with the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because people there believe in unnatural sex. And God says, I'm going to destroy these two cities. But God sends the angel to take Lot out from that place. Now the Bible speaks in the book of Genesis chapter 19 that when the angels enter the city, Lot is standing at the gate. And Lot is standing at the gate and Lot, Lot invites the angels to his house. And he says, oh, you can't stay at the town square. You need to come to my house. Why is Lot calling them? to his house 
Because somewhere deep down in his heart, there is spirituality alive. Because somewhere deep down in his heart, he has that longing for the Lord and Lord's people. Even though he has started living in a lifestyle of Sodom and Gomorrah where people are sinners, but yet there is some spark in his heart and in his spirit which connects him to people of the Lord. And he takes that angel to his house. And now the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they get around his house and they say, ha, ah, we learned that there are men in your house we haven't seen in the city. Come on, send those men out. And there's an argument which starts a lot, says, no, 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 I can't send them out. And they say, you need to send them out. And they say, you lot, you don't even belong to us. And we, we, we allowed you to settle here and you're trying to argue with us. The angel of the Lord put blindness on the people who were out and put Lot inside. And the angels told Lot, Lot, we have instructions tomorrow morning when the sun rises. You're going to have an attack of sulfur on this city. And the city is going to be destroyed. We have been given a task by God to protect you and your family. Therefore, it's time for you to pack up and leave. And the Bible says in Genesis 19 verse 15, that, you know, Lot gets across to his would-be son-in-laws and says, this is what is going to happen in the by, by, by morning. And imagine the, the 21st century, one son-in-law is looking at his mobile and the other one is sitting on the PSP playing something and he says, come on, chill, dad-in-law. You are joking. You think, you know, it's such a beautiful house we stay in. You want us to leave this house and go with you into nowhere. You are joking. The cloud is clear from where it's going to rain. Sulfur on this city. And then the verse 16 comes in Genesis chapter 19, where it says, Lot lingered. You know, he was in double mind. Double mind, should he go with the angels or should he stay there? His first step when he came towards Sodom was not with an intent to get lost. But when he started living in Sodom, he got used to the comforts there. He got used to the lifestyle there. Not only he got used to the lifestyle, his family got more used to the lifestyle there. And his flesh was being fed more than his spirit what was being fed. His heart desired to get out of that place. He did not like the sinfulness which was around him but yet he was helpless to really tell his family that look I am getting out of this place you want to come you come you want to stay here you stay here but I get back to my people he didn't have the courage to say it because he lingered he lingered there and you get across to verse 17 in Genesis chapter 19, verse 17. Now the angel says, well, it's about 5.30 in the morning and, you know, it's going to rain. We can't wait. We got instructions from God. And they pull up Lot, his wife, his daughters. And they say, you guys, son-in-law, you are not yet married. You might as well continue playing there what you are doing. But I'm going to take rest of the family out. And they start moving out. And I want you to pay attention here. The angels tell Lot... Quickly, let's move to the mountains. And the Lord says, No, 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 not the mountain. I want to go to the city, city of Zoar. I don't want to go to mountains. I don't want to go to mountains. I want you to meditate on this aspect, church. What was in the mountains? What was in the mountains? 
And if from there you get across to Genesis chapter 19 and read verse 27 and 28, it speaks about Abraham. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is interceding for Sodom with the same angels. And Abraham is saying to the angels in Genesis 18, I know you have been assigned to destroy that city. But I want to tell you, if you find 50 guys there who are righteous, will you still destroy it? An angel says no. And Abraham says, what about 45? Angel says no. Abraham says, what about 30? Angel says no. Abraham says, okay, let me stretch it a little more. What about 20? Angel says no. Abraham says, what about 10? If you find 10 righteous people, will you destroy? Angel says no. Abraham didn't ask less than 10. The conversation ended in Genesis 18 and the angels left off. But if you read Genesis chapter 19, verse 28 and 29, it says, next morning, Abraham looked down, underline the word down, and he saw, and he saw smoke coming out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Where did he look? Down. Where do you look down from? You look down from a position which is higher. So where was Abraham? Abraham was in the hills. But Lot decided not to go to the hills. Lot decided to go to a city of Zohar. I want to tell you, church, that that was a decision which Lot took was another wrong decision. His first decision, we cannot categorize as right or wrong because his intent was to give good food to his sheep. And he saw a place which was, which was flourishing. But his second decision, when he invited the angels to the house, reflected that his heart wanted to connect back with spiritual things. His third decision, when he lingered, was a decision which speaks about his spiritual health where the flesh was so strong that the spirit was unable to pull him out from that place. And the family was fully in comfort zone, not willing to listen to the head of the family. And the fourth decision, he could have gone to the hills and met Abraham and could have lived the rest of his life with Abraham. But he said, no, 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 I don't want to go to the hills. I'll go to the city. I'll go to the city which is nearby. And I want you to now come to the end of the chapter of Genesis chapter 19, verse 37 and 38. It speaks about the most, most pervert thing where the daughters decide to sleep with the father because, because they don't know whether the father will get them married. And the first one gave birth to the tribe of Moabites and the second went to the tribe of Ammonites. Both these tribes are tribes which fought against Israel all throughout. I want, to, I want you to meditate on this life of Lot. A life began with, an, with a decision which was a simple, humble decision that I choose something. I choose something because my eyes say they are good. But then my subsequent decisions I'm unable to break out of that sinful life. I'm unable to break out of that style which I've adopted to and my family has been adopted to. I am unable to come out of it. But deep in my heart, I still want to connect back to God's people. And I want you to take you to the, to the, to the letters written by Peter, 2 Peter, 2nd chapter, verse 7 and 8. 
you know, Peter writes about Lot and Peter says, Lot is a righteous man. And I want you to dwell at this word, righteous man. And he doesn't leave it there. He describes, he is called a righteous man because in his heart, he hated the sin. He hated the sinful life of people in which he was living. That was the hidden repentance. He was declared righteous by the Lord. But look at the life of Lord, a life which ended in a disaster, a life which ended with no meaning. Even though the grace of God still took something good out of Lord's life, that Ruth in the book of Ruth is a mobile who met Boaz and the Lord used the tribe of Moab and of course Boaz to bring Christ into the world. But the physical life of Lord ended in a disaster. Two men started their journey together. It was Lot and Abraham. About one you speak that generations are blessed. And the second died in a cave and committed a perverse sin where his daughter slept with him and two tribes which always opposed the Israelites came into the world. There was hidden repentance. There were wrong choices. And there was Christ's response that God declared him righteous, but he still lived through the pain. All right, now let's get to the second parable, which is of the coin. And I want you to just pay attention to it. It speaks about the silver coin. Now, where do you think your, your wife will keep a silver or a gold coin? And you get a gold coin in the house and you say, well, I got this gold coin for you. She's not going to leave it on the dining table. Well, I can speak about India. She's going to open a Godrej Almara. And she will open a Godrej safe. And in that safe, there will be another box. And in that box, there will be another lock and key. And that will be opened. And the gold coin will get into that place. And every month or two months, when she will open that almara, she would like to see that is still there. Because that's the value of the silver or the gold coin. Now the coin lands up somewhere down. It's not the coin's fault, but it is still landing up somewhere down. Lost, either under the sofa or under the sideboard which is kept in the house. And the coin is crying to himself, this is not my place. I am not supposed to be here. My place is to be in the best of best because I am a child of God. Sometimes we as Christians land up into places not because of our faults. Not because we want to be there. Not because we have done anything to get into that place. But it's either the circumstances around us or the peers around us or some sort of things and happenings which happen around us which makes us into a spot like that coin where we get into a place where we are not supposed to be. And we cry into ourselves, Lord, that's not where I want to be, Lord. Lord, that is not where my place is, God. Lord, I want to be part of your kingdom in some way, Lord. I want to be connected to it, Lord. I want to be used by it, Lord. I want to be part of church, Lord. I want to give a portion of my life to you, Lord. Lord, that's not my place. Place. And the Bible says that the woman will not take rest till she finds the coin. When that sort of repentance comes in my heart, even due to others' fault, when I land up into a place, the shepherd 
and the Lord will come after me and find me out. And find me out. The second parable speaks. When we get into places and we know, Lord, that's not where I'm supposed to be. Today, as I'm sharing this message, the first parable is for those who have taken steps and decisions and choices in their lives, which they never took with an intention that they would, that, that choices will land them into places where there is no comeback. I want to give you hope and assurance that when you cry out and say, Lord, I want to be out of them, God. Lord, I am helpless, God. I don't have the strength to break it, God. I don't, cannot break the chains which have chained me, Lord, but you can, Master. I need your mercy and your grace in times like this. I will tell you, brothers and sisters, that Christ will come and pick you up the way he lifted up the lost sheep. And if you are amongst the category where you land yourself into a problem, not because of your fault, but due to the circumstances, due to things which have happened around us, which are not in our influence at all. I want to tell you, church, when you cry out and say, this is not where I want to be. My place is with you, Christ. My place is with you, Lord. That's where I belong to, Lord. Lord, when I cry in my spirit, it cries out, Abba, Father, because that's what my relationship with you, O Lord. Lord, I become a joint heir with Christ as given, in the, as given in the book of Romans chapter 8, Lord, because that's where I belong to, Master. I want to tell you, church, that the Lord will come and find you and pick you up. When Jesus speaks these two parables, he's trying to speak about the choices we make, with what intention we make those choices, speak about the hidden repentance and the hidden tears which we shed in our lives, on our state of lives, and speaks about his response to get to that sheep and to get to that coin. And then he graduates to the story of prodigal son. Because the story of prodigal son is what we connect to easily as repentance. Because story of prodigal son is a premeditated rebellion by the son against the father. The father does not go back, does not go after him, but he's saddened. He's saddened because one son is away and he waits expectedly with a hope that that son will return. So there are three shades of repentance. Sometimes our first step has no intention, but we get into wrong places. Sometimes we get into wrong places, not by our fault. And sometimes it's a premeditated thought which gets us into a state of rebellion. Well, church, our choices, hidden repentance and Christ's response before I close, I want to tell you that even though Lot was declared righteous, but yet the end of his life was disaster. Sometimes as Christians, we may be declared righteous when we accept Christ. When we say, Lord, we take your robe of righteousness over us. And we say, Lord, hamari dharmikta nahi, but aapki dharmikta. But yet our choices and our decisions decides on the joy and the pain which we may have in our lives. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. 
Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this time which you gave to us. Father, I pray that even as we are locked down, Lord, with several restrictions, allow us to use this time to ponder and retrospect our own lives, Lord. Allow us to see through it, Master. Thank you. Lord, see through it, Lord. If we need to change, make some changes in our choices, Lord, let this be the right time to make those changes. If we need to really repent, Lord, and cry unto you, let this be the time when I look unto you, Master. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for I know your response. You come after the lost sheep and you come after the lost coin. Thank you, Jesus. Bless all those who are watching, Lord. And Lord, even as we stand united at this time, Lord, I pray that you wipe off this snare of virus from this world in the name of Jesus. Wipe it off, Lord. Allow, Lord, the countries once again to get back to the churches. Let those synagogues and those churches be full, Lord, worshipping and praising you, Lord, because you make us victorious. Thank you. We need you, Lord. Always needed you but maybe in times like this need you more. Thank you. Bless all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.